0: morning. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, and that he hath made us. Take a moment here and pray before I begin my message. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning and we are thankful that you have made us, that you have called us your sheep said you will be here if we are gathered in your name and we seek to bring you honor and glory this morning and pray you would be glorified your word would go forth from this place and that we could serve you and that others would see your life in us thank you for each one here and pray you bless your word as it goes forth pray all this in your name amen Special welcome to Jonathan, good to see you back. This morning I'm going to talk on prayer, the subject of prayer, and look at the Lord's Prayer a little bit and some things we can pull out of that. Lately I've been thinking about personal revival and what that means and all it involves and Um, The more I meditate on it, the more um, I can see what an integral part of revival is in prayer and our communing with God and praying rightly. So I want to kind of look at how to pray rightly, I guess, Um, because really without prayer, we can do nothing, Um, and it, it blows my mind that God is moved by our prayers. We're such a minuscule part of his creation, but he says he's moved by our prayers. I think of Moses praying, or Moses entreating God on behalf of the children of Israel, because God w- was going to destroy them, and, he, and God didn't because of Moses' prayer. And then I think of the prayers of the people in Nineveh. They were going to be destroyed, but God um, spared them because of their prayers. And also just many of the prophets prayed for the children of Israel and um, it, as it were, I guess, changed, changed the course or God gave granted mercy. Uh, one thing I find interesting is that the disciples never asked Jesus how they could raise the dead, heal the sick, or cast out demons. But it specifically says they asked him, teach us to pray. <clears throat> and I think that's because they watched their Lord pray, and they could see the power in his prayer life. So first, just some definitions. So pray is to supplicate, to entreat, or to urge. And prayer, in a general sense, the act of asking for a favor, and particularly with earnestness. In worship, it's a solemn address to the supreme being. Consisting of adoration or an expression of our sense of God's glorious perfections. Confession of our sins, supplication for mercy and forgiveness, intercessions for blessings on others, and thanksgiving. Or an expression of gratitude to God for his mercies and his benefits. If you want to turn to Matthew 6. I have quite a few passages, and I'll probably just read, read most of them off my notes here, um, that will be turning to a few. Matthew 6, verse 5 through 15. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard of their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for our Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Just kind of looking through this, um, I think one of the first things I noted was it says, when thou prayest, it's not an option, it's not if you pray, but it says when you pray. If you're a child of God, you will pray, and it's not just something you do here and there but it's kind of, he's saying this should be an integral part of your life, I think. Um, I think it's interesting also in verse uh, 7, it says, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. And I think of many of these religions, like Hindus or Muslims or things like that, they have these repetitious calls or prayers that they go over and over and over again. and, And they specifically are very, if you want to say or um, they, sh- you know, I can think of the guy that does detailing up in Iowa City. Certain times his alarm thing will go off and he'll be, before it happens, he'll be like washing his hands, you know, where everybody can see him. He'll pull out his little rug and he'll go and, what is it, pray towards the east? And just that idea of praying almost for show so others can see it. And it says, "Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, or don't stand on the street corner, but go into private and entreat God." I guess is what I got out of that. <clears throat> okay, so moving on, I have a couple points, and then some subpoints under them. I'll try and keep it somewhat organized so you can follow along. Uh, so first is why do we pray? And then my subpoints under that are, one of them is confession for confessions of our sin. That is why we pray. That's one of the first things, I believe, is why we pray. And it has to be first in that order because we first have to confess our sins so we can have a relationship with God. So in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Without confessions of our sins, there's no repentance. And we must confess to God but also to those that we have wronged. It's not just not just confessing our sins and praying to God, but it's also confessing our sins and then God moving in our hearts to make wrongs right. Uh, Romans ten ten for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So salvation comes by confessing Christ and confessing our sins. And that's how we that's how we are saved. James five sixteen. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And that righteousness comes through confessing to our Lord and Savior and being washed with his blood. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, And turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God will heal, forgive our sins, and heal us if we confess. First, my second point of why do we pray is for mercy and forgiveness. I think that comes after our confession of sin. Um, We must ask for forgiveness. We deserve judgment. We have done wrong. We have sinned. We have sinned against God. We have sinned against others. But we can pray for mercy. And if we confess our sins, he says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and also to grant us mercy and forgiveness. James 5.15 says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins they shall be forgiven him. If we make that confession and we pray to God and confess our sins, we shall be forgiven. My third sub-point on why do we pray is worship and praise for what he has done for us. So after confession and forgiveness comes, it should work in our heart to pray to him out of gratitude for what he has done and bring praise and worship to him simply because of God who God is the maker of the worlds. it just struck my mind here there's some what then Mars rover landed on Mars Friday or something like that and I was just thinking you know the, the expanse of the heavens he made the world and I had to think like how long did it take the Mars rover to get there so I looked it up and it was Seven months, and it traveled 300 million miles, and it's just a drop in the bucket. But that shows how big God, a little glimpse of how big God is, but we need to praise and worship Him simply because of what He, or because of He sent His Son to die for us so that we can have salvation, that we can have, we can be right with Him, and we can be forgiven. My uh, fourth subpoint under why do we praise? Because we need communion with God. Uh, let's turn to Mark one twenty-nine. Mark one twenty-nine through thirty-nine. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue. They entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. And anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many. That were sick of divers diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon, and they that were with him, followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, so that I may preach there also. For I therefore, for therefore, came I forth. And he preached in the synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. So Here we see this kind of a... I went back as far as I did. I mainly wanted uh, 35. But I went back to kind of look at this story. We see that they were traveling. They just arrived at Simon's house. um, And Right away, he's healing Simon's mother in yeah Simon's mother in law, uh, and then that evening, the whole city gathers outside, and he's healing. And um, I don't think that was any can I say small feat even physically. As far as demanding physically, just, the, you know, they're traveling, he's healing, he's casting out demons, he's preaching, all these kind of things. And it says, I can't imagine if they all gathered at their door in the evening and he was healing many and casting out many devils. It wasn't like they were there for a short time. I imagine it was half the night or, I mean, you go to a third world country and a doctor shows up they... They mobbed the doctor, even though he might not be able to help them. And then you see the desperation of these people, and if they were desperate to be healed or their demons cast out, they're not going to go away just by somebody shutting the door, I don't think. Um, And so you can see it was physically exhausting, I guess you'd say. But it says, in the morning, rising up a great while before day. So here I want to look at... um, My point is, because we need communion with God, but I want to look at this as even Jesus, the Son of God, needed to commune with his Heavenly Father. And if he needed to commune with his Heavenly Father, how much more do we need to? So in uh, Luke 5.15 it says, But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of their infirmities, And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Just another uh, part of scripture there that talks about Jesus pulling himself apart and praying. Um, This was a little excerpt from Adam Clark here about, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness. It says, or rather, if you look into the Greek, it's kind of implying that he frequently withdrew into the desert. It wasn't just every once in a while but he frequently I think the way the Greek words it kind of gives that impression he made it a frequent custom to withdraw from the multitudes for a time and pray teaching hereby the ministers of the gospel that they are to receive fresh supplies of light and power from God by prayer that they be they may be the more successful in their work and that they ought to seek frequent opportunities of being in private with God A man can give nothing unless he first receive it, and no man can be successful in the ministry that God has called him to, who does not consistently depend upon God, for the excellence of the power is all from him. Why is there so much preaching and so little good done? It is not because the preachers mix too much with the world. Oh, is it not because the preachers mix too much with the world, keep too long in the crowd, and are so seldom in private with God? That spoke to me is how much time, you know, we go to work for 8, 10, 12 hours a day. How much time do I spend seeking God alone? Uh, another example of Christ taking time to pray is in Matthew fourteen twenty three. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. So we saw in uh, Mark that he went out early a great while before day. And in Matthew, we see... He sent the multitudes away and then went up in the mountain to pray. I don't know what time that was at, but he was still praying in the evening. Uh, Matthew twenty six thirty six. Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here, while I go and pray yonder. Uh, Luke 6, 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. <laughs> Christ was just as much of a man as you and I. He had the same temptations. He had the same physical limitations. And he spent the whole night in prayer to his heavenly father. <clears throat> so under why do we pray? Another one is to intercede for others. We are to pray for those around us. It's a way we can come alongside and encourage each other and build each other up in the faith. 1 Timothy 2.1 I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And then James 5.16 Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So then, switching from why do we pray, my next category is when and where do we pray? <clears throat> and I think most of you would know the answer for when. It's all the time. First uh, Thessalonians five seventeen: Pray without ceasing. Prayer is to be our daily experience, our almost our life attitude. It should just be going about our day, communing with God. Um, Luke 21.36, watch ye therefore and pray always. <clears throat> Acts 6.4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So we're supposed to pray all the time. And then we're also supposed to pray everywhere. At work, at home, while in the car, whatever you find yourself doing, wherever you are, 1 Timothy two eight. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Um. Back to Mark thirty five. Um, or one thirty five. Uh, let's see. Might have got the wrong reference there. Oh, no, I guess not. Um, You see, in the morning it says, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. It gives the idea of Christ took himself away from all the things that were calling him. He stole away. He took time to get away from it all and go pray. So that's every, I mean, you're supposed to pray everywhere, but you're supposed to steal away, steal those little, little bits of time that we have whether it's we're waiting in a waiting room or nowadays waiting in your car because you can't go inside or whatever it is, take those little opportunities to, to commune with God. Um, another sub-point underneath this is um, our prayer should be structured. God has given us a template on how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He says, after this manner pray ye. And um, you, there's whole studies you can can do going through the Lord's Prayer. Um, one of them I found interesting. I found the other day was the acronym of Acts, and it stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And they are, they were saying it's a good way to pray. First, we adore God. We Worship Him, we lift Him up, and then we confess, like I talked about earlier, and we make our hearts right with Him, and then we are thankful and um, grateful for what He has done, and then we make supplications of things others need or we need in our own lives. So that's structured structured prayer, and you could go down lots of that, and it goes so far as there's even you know a lot of uh, Forget what type of uh, denominations to do it, but they have lots of written prayers that the congregation will quote and things like that. So the other side of structured prayer, there's my other sub point is instantaneously or spontaneous prayer. And in Romans twelve twelve, it says rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. It just needs to come out of us at whenever, especially especially when we're tried, it just needs to, it just needs to come naturally. When we have something, we need to have that instant and spontaneous reaction to go to God and talk to him. Uh, This is one I found that I was very blessed by, or a verse in scripture, Uh, I'd never noticed it before. In Nehemiah 2, uh, 1 through 4, it says, and it came to pass in the month Nisan, and in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine, and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been, before time, sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad, when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste? And the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, "For what dost thou make request?" This is the part that stood out to me. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then the chapter goes on to re- go on to talk about the reply of the king. But it struck me. It's a story of Nehemiah being uh, burdened, I guess, for Israel and or Jerusalem, and uh, the king. He's in the presence of the king, and the king asks him why he sat, and he explains. And before he answers, he says he prays to the God of heaven. And just that instant, in a moment of need or needing wisdom, we can just, those short prayers that we can just lift our voice up to God or even just pray in our heads and ask Him to help us. <clears throat> so, my next category is how do we pray? Um, First we need to pray believing and in faith. So uh, Mark eleven twenty four says, Therefore I say unto you that think uh sorry, therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And then in first Timothy two, uh, 2 eight. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So we're not to doubt, we're to believe, and we're to pray in faith. And then in Romans twelve twelve again, I think I quoted that earlier, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. In hope, that's, I would say it goes along with faith and believing, we're to pray in hope, believing God for the promises that he has Given us that we can claim. <clears throat> Another way we pray. On how do we pray? Is uh, perseveringly. Peter, uh, Acts twelve, five. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. <clears throat> Colossians four two, continue in prayer, and watch, in the same with thanksgiving. Galatians 6 9, and let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If you have a need or know someone who has a need, how long do you pray? Three months? Three years? 30 years? <clears throat> I was challenged by this. I think too often I'm very short sighted. I pray for a little while about something and don't really feel like I got an answer or got through or whatever and I just don't really persevere at it um makes me think our my family back at home when I was ever since I can remember we've had my dad's had this high school friend that he still is in contact with to this day and uh pretty heavy drinker his wife's a Christian but he's not and I remember from pretty much the time I could ever remember praying, praying for this, this man. And even to this day, I know my parents pray for him. And he's now left his wife and is living with somebody else, and, but they're still praying for him. And that's a testimony to me of uh, praying perseveringly. Let's turn to Luke 11, 1 through 13. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive every one that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said, Said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, Yet, because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? It never promises in this verse or chapter how soon our prayers will be answered. It just says, Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And uh, And for everyone that asketh, receiveth. And I think the story there is uh, the emphasis. My dad always liked to talk about his importunity. You know, are we are we that way? Are we just keep knocking, keep knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking? I don't think we can tire God out with our requests. And we need to keep seeking him and keep bringing these things up before him and... <clears throat> uh, keep seeking him for answers in certain areas. Uh, I want to go over to Luke 18 real quick. Look at a little story there. Kind of the same thing about importunity. Luke 18, one through 8, it's about the unjust judge. <clears throat> and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man, and there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversaries. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard men, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjudge, just judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. This unjust judge was wearied by this woman's coming. She would not leave him alone. Do we pray for a while, then leave God alone? Or do we... And I say weary him, if that were possible, I guess. But do we weary him with our coming and beseeching him and seeking his face? Uh, Actually, I did want to bring something out back in chapter 11 where I was. Chapter 11, verse 1. And it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Teach us to pray. God, or Christ, was praying And notice they didn't interrupt him when he was praying. I think there was such a oh. It was so awe-inspiring to see Christ pray. The disciples waited for him to end and then asked him, teach us to pray like you pray. Teach us to commune with your Heavenly Father like you do. I forget who it was. I heard a story of a... um, Oh, he was a pretty uh, prominent author of some Christian books. I forget who it was. But he told the story one time of walking into another man's office or something while he was praying. And he said he walked in, he saw this man praying in his office. He said he stopped, stood still for a second, and then he backed out of the room. And he said, why did you back out of the room? He said, you never turn your back on royalty." And he was just saying this man had such, such a presence of God about him when he was praying that he, he didn't even feel right turning his back and walking out of the room. He backed out of the room. <clears> oh, <throat> so that we could have that testimony. <clears throat> so on my point of how do we pray, um, I guess going back, we have believing in faith and then uh, perseveringly. And then my other sub-point there is according to God's will. We need to pray according to God's will. James 4, 1 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, and yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask. And receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. It gives the the first part of this uh, passage of scripture kind of talks, kind of gives the picture of confusion and turmoil, and um, you lust and you have not, you kill and you desire to have, and you cannot obtain. And it says you, you don't because you don't ask. But then it says ye ask and you don't receive kind of saying even after you ask you still don't receive it and then it says because you ask amiss how often do we ask things of God because we're consuming it upon our lusts, or because it's what we want we ask God uh, for things because we think that's what we need uh, going back to Matthew 6 and the passage here on the Lord's prayer there in Matthew 6. Uh, I think this is part of kind of the structure of our prayers should be, um, and it ties in with because we ask amiss. I think oftentimes we ask things that we think would be good for us, but it doesn't, in this structure of prayer here, it says, the way it starts is, "Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done." <clears throat> it's it's all about God. It's about what His will is for us. If if it would further God, are we at a place, I guess, where if it would further God's kingdom to give us wealth? Um. Or are we willing to say, if if to further Thy kingdom, you'll make me the poorest person? Or give me health, or give me sickness, or anything like that. What it says, "Thy kingdom come." What are we? Is our heart really um, looking to God for His will and what would further His kingdom and His work in our lives? <clears throat> First John five fourteen says, and this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything. According to His will, He heareth us. Gives the idea that we can pray of our own will and try and try and can I say get things from God that we want, but we need to pray that His will be done and His kingdom comes. Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So my fourth and final point in um, how we should pray is in humility. Second Chronicles uh, 7.14 If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, Read this earlier, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal, heal their land if we shall humble ourselves and pray. A proper idea of prayer is a pouring out of the soul unto God as a free will offering, solemnly and eternally dedicated to Him, accompanied with the most earnest desire that it may know, love, and serve Him alone. He that comes thus to God will ever be heard and blessed. We need to have that that humble attitude of uh, desiring God, but knowing that it's all by His mercy and His grace and forgiveness and His blood that have purchased us, that we can come to Him. <clears throat> Prayer. I think this is also from Adam Clark. Prayer is the language of dependence. He who prays not is endeavoring to live independently of god this was the first curse and continues to be the great curse of mankind i it struck me just prayer is the language of dependence we have to if we depend on god we will seek him and pray and uh through that we we are sustained But I say unto you, uh, Matthew five forty four. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I don't know if any, how many of you have had the humbling experience of being cursed out. I've had a few, All right, I guess I could say my fair share of it, it seems like. Um, and there's just something about that. It's just like, mm. And... Uh, even if you aren't in the wrong, I think of this job we were doing last year. And it was a really tight job and had the mini excavator over on this little driveway that went back to about five households and this guy came down the driveway. He was not happy that we were on the right away, way of his, and he was very upset. And I kind of had the smirk on my face because I thought it was kind of funny because the county he was talking he was going to call the county, and the county had just been there to inspect it, and... He did not like the smirk on my face and he lit into me and it was just like mm, afterwards, you know, and but then I when I was reading this, can I humble myself enough to take that and then go and pray for that man? I mean it was kind of kind of a funny, funny story to talk about in later on or whatever, and this guy, you know, all been out of shape about something that wasn't even his. It was a county right away, so but then but was I humble enough? Did I did I act humble enough to show him that I cared for him? <clears throat> and then I know I know I didn't go and pray for him, but it says to pray for them which despitefully use you. Or does my spirit rise up and say, I have my rights, you know? It's it's in the Constitution. I can it's in the laws of the county, I can be in this right of way. I don't know, it just it struck me that. We need to have that humble attitude and also humility and prayer and coming to God. <clears throat> and then, kind of in closing, um, I think it's in Matthew six. Matthew 6, verse 8 says, For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. Our Father knows what we need before we ask. Prayer is not designed to inform God of what we need, but to give man a sight of his own misery. To humble our own hearts and to... Excite our desires to inflame his faith and to animate his hope to rise, raise his soul from earth to heaven and to put him in in a mind that there is that this is his father, his country and an inheritance to be had. That's what prayer should do. It should animate our hope, inflame our faith and excite our desire for God. So in closing, Matthew twenty six, forty one says watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then in first Peter four, seven by but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer.